Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's the fun drive, and uh, we are going to uh, look at best of, uh, of our programs, uh, celebrate Access Utah, and uh, give you some excerpts from some of our favorite programs. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, ask for your support for UPR in general and Access Utah in specific. Love to get your support to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess. I'm giving the wrong uh, number here. I'm so used to doing UPR Access. You can comment if you'd like to UPR Access, but pledge to upr.org. Upr.org. That's the place to go. And you can call us at 800 826 1495 and pledge your support. Uh, any amount would be uh, very much appreciated. We are going to talk today about issues of race in America, race and identity. And we've chosen three very interesting programs uh, to uh, take excerpts from. Later in the program, we'll be uh, hearing part of our conversation with Angela Polly Hudson, who was in town uh, to receive the 2016 Evans Biography Award from the Mountain West Center for Regional Studies at USU. Her book, titled Real Native Genius, How an Ex-Slave and a White Mormon Became Famous Indians. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. And uh, that raises uh, questions of uh, imposture and identity, and the fluid nature of identity. And, of course, what did it mean at that time to be an American Indian? Well, this is a black man and a, a white Mormon woman who passed as Indians. Uh, later in the program, we'll also be talking uh, with Paul Reeve. We'll have an excerpt from our conversation with Paul Reeve. His uh, book, Religion of a Different Color, uh, talks about how uh, Protestant white America made outsiders of an inside religious group. Um, radicalizing Mormons, using physical differences in order to define Mormons as non-white to help justify their expulsion from Ohio, Missouri, and Illinois. Very interesting and apropos, of course, to uh, Utah. Uh, but we begin today with a discussion, uh, the excerpt for discussion that we had uh, in the fall on the occasion when uh, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem, and he sparked a vigorous national conversation about race, police, patriotism, free speech, and other issues. We continued that conversation. We asked the questions, what uh, should be the meaning of the word patriotism? What about related issues of race and police, and how do we make progress there, and how do we even th uh, talk about these issues in a constructive way? With me for the hour is a frequent guest to Access Utah, Jason Gilmore, who is Assistant Professor of Communication Studies at USU and a recent recipient of USU President's Faculty Diversity Award. Uh, so congratulations on that, Jason, and welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. So these these issues, <clears throat> they are tough to have, I think, about race. Um, there's a lot of discomfort that that's built up. We have tried to have a regular conversation about race on this uh, program, uh, many of these programs with your help. Sure. Yeah, I think it's, it's I mean, it's obviously um, difficult, um, and it's interesting that we call it difficult considering it's something that's so ever-present in our lives, the, the fact that there is racial difference, that there is difference in general along religious lines, along gender lines, along a thousand different lines, um, that those issues would be difficult for us to uh, talk about is unfortunate, but it's true. Um, and I am uh, very thankful that we've had that avenue here uh, to, to do our best to have an open and honest conversation about something that is, I think, beyond difficult. It's important. It's necessary. It's part of our lives. Uh, so something really important to move forward. And I, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate Access Utah and UPR being a space for that. 
And the way to support this uh, kind of programming is to go to our website, upr.org. That's upr.org. We'd love to uh, have support. Our goal for the next two hours is $1,500. So we just uh, chip away at that one pledge at a time, and we hope that yours will be the first pledge at uh, upr.org. And you can call 800-826-1495 as well, upr.org. We have Jason Gilmore with us. Let's jump into this first uh, excerpt. Um, so uh, this was a pretty big event fall of last year. Colin Kaepernick uh, took a knee during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Uh, other sports figures uh, started doing the same. This was about race, right? Uh, and so this sparked a national conversation about race, police, patriotism, free speech, and and uh, other issues. Um, a vigorous conversation. I recall I, I came to you, Jason. I said, "Let's we should have a conversation about this," and you were up for it. Sure. But I'll reveal behind-the-scenes producing uh, of this. You said it probably shouldn't be two white guys. Yeah. <laughs> talking Indeed. about this. <laughs> so, um, and so then we we went, and uh, our, our producer, I think this might have been Amy, was it was it Amy Kobabe, who's through the glass right now, um, had, the, had the delicate task of finding a person of color. Indeed. And that, that's kind of a delicate conversation. It illustrates the, the unease we have about these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so she called around and said, hey, we... We, you know, we need a person of color to talk about these issues. Indeed. Are, are you that person? And we, we networked into a, a wonderful gentleman, Forrest Crawford, a professor of teacher education at uh, Weber State University. Indeed. Uh, who was, I think, quite eloquent on, on, on this issue. So we, we had a discussion. Let's hear an excerpt of this, a discussion about uh, Colin Kaepernick and race issues. And I believe the first voice you'll hear is that of uh, Jason Gilmer. The mainstream American society is is built around the idea that we each get to voice our own concerns. Uh, And again, piggybacking off of what uh, Professor Crawford was saying, is this idea of um, a democracy is built around the fact that we come to the table with different points of view and we hash it out together, right? Unfortunately, something like this sends people away from the table, or maybe not this. I don't want to blame Kaepernick or, 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 or anything like that for sending people away from the table. That said, something like this happens, and instead of converging uh, and saying, hey, we might disagree on this, let's, let's hash this out together, um, people kind of go over to their camps and, and start shouting at the other side, right? Um, and so something like this needs to bring about a conversation, right? What we're having here uh, today and what uh, to a certain extent we've had throughout the nation about this, uh, but this needs to this needs to produce something uh, constructive. Right? It can't just be about pointing at the other side saying they're bad, we're we're good, and that happening in, happening in the reverse. We have to move this forward and say what are the things that need to be done uh, so that somebody like Colin Kaepernick doesn't feel compelled to take a knee. You're um, right, Doc. I I I fundamentally believe that the worst thing that can happen in a discourse like this is for people to just shut down because they don't want to uh, 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 infuse their ideals, uh, um, uh, you know, in, into the uh, d- discussion. And, and, and so uh, what happens oftentimes is that if I feel like that I'm going to beat up you know, get beat up in, in, in that conversation, then I'm not inclined to 
participate, that I'm going to just take my ideals, my views, my experiences, perspectives, my marbles, if you will, and go home and just say, uh, I'm going to live life the way that I think is right. And so what, that's what, as a result, you have that kind of, of fragmentation about how American society is viewed. But I, I think that when we engage that conversation in the spirit that you was talking about, Professor, that um, uh, when you engage that, you know, what you do is uh, that you actually uh, begin to hear out uh, uh, people's fundamental concerns about, you know, uh, uh, whether they like an ideal or, or they don't like an ideal, that at least that they can uh, uh, go down uh, the, the road, uh, you know, toward clarity, uh, not so much toward mutual embracement, but clarity. Uh, and, I, and, I, and with the students that I work with all of the time, you know, we don't necessarily say let's have the conversation for the purposes of me fully embracing uh, your perspective, but let's have the conversation from the perspective that at least I can engage with you with clarity. Oh, I'd like to I'd like to um, further that uh, that question. Put it in this context. I'll I'll direct this first to Professor Crawford. How do we have that conversation? Seems like we're moving in the wrong direction in terms of uh, we're going to we're retreating to our camps. It seems like, um, and uh, it's, it, it, if it's grossly simplifying it, if you if you look at uh, white America, black America, uh, radically different experiences. Uh, you know, take take an example experience with the police. You know, if if you're a black man, you you're likely to have a different experience with police than than if you're a, a white man, for for example. So, uh, Professor Croft, you, you, it sounds like you've maybe had some successful conversations among students. How do you, uh, how do we, how do we even have that conversation in a constructive way? Yeah, the 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 good thing about uh, having students is you have that captive audience. Uh, they, uh, 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 by and large, they can't they can't go anywhere. You know, they they. They, they want to sit and earn the grade and whatever. And so, you know, you do have an opportunity to engage them in a, in a, in a free manner. But I've, I've had an opportunity on, ooh, I bet you five, six occasions where we've had public dialogues with law enforcement. Uh, and we've talked about this issue of, of perception and uh, uh, police brutality and the role of community-oriented policing and, and, and how that sometimes can be a clash between black community experience and, and um, uh, uh, law enforcement standards and expect, uh, expectations. That we've talked about the fact that long, long before we arrived at this point where uh, people were feeling like the black people are being... Uh, 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 disrespected and and uh, uh, abused, you know they were disrespected and abused long before all of this that had, had happened, and and none of it was hitting the media. That there there were some people who uh, in the early evolution of uh, uh, police and African community uh, relationships, uh, where uh, those relationships were just intense and they were dark. And uh, we don't know the depth and breadth of mistrust that 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 grew uh, 
the level of mistrust that grew as a result of that relationship. You know, what we have now in contemporary times is that certainly you have much more uh, uh, transparency, uh, but, but, uh, but I think in that transparency, what people are coming to realize is that, my, we did not realize how deep of a, uh, a, a trench that we have, uh, 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 we, we've dug here, you know, with these various communities. Uh, and, and, and so I think that having that public discussion about how hurtful these things are, when you start thinking about the ideal that uh, uh, literally uh, hundreds of, of African-American men, um, uh, you know, at least well over 100 uh, in the past couple of years have been uh, 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 gunned down, you know, certainly for a variety of, uh, of reasons, and, um, and, and then on uh, contrasting on the other end, you know, just a handful of uh, law enforcement officers uh, uh, have been uh, uh, incarcerated and prosecuted uh, for that. That's an imbalance, but that's an imbalance that the black community, for example, knows very well that, uh, that in, in a lot of ways the black community, uh, I, I know, let me just speak for myself, that I, I really believe every time I hear about a, um, a police shooting, the first thing that pops up in my mind is that I wonder if it's an African-American man, that we have almost, uh, 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 it's almost like a Pavlovian uh, response, is that every time I hear about a police shooting, that it's an automatic uh, 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 response to the notion that I wonder if this officer have gunned down uh, still yet an, uh, uh, another black man. So we, I think that we really have to change that narrative because uh, I don't think that people really understand uh, the trauma that that packs when you're trying to engage in problem solving. Let me turn to Professor Gilmore, get your reaction. Let me frame it this way, the same question, but, but in this frame, through the vice presidential debate, and that, um, you know, some stretches were boring and others were very vigorous. Mm-hmm. This very brief passage, they didn't talk a whole lot about race, but but uh, a brief passage kind of, uh, it, to my mind, illustrates the divide. Mm-hmm. Senator Kane, he made the statement, we're all biased. Mm-hmm. And he pushed for community policing and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to uh, bridge the divide. Um, Governor Pence, I think, represented a, a certain segment of the country when, when he, he seemed to express frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he said, uh, why do we keep having to go there? Why, you know, you keep bringing up race. Uh, I hope I'm uh, quoting him accurately or paraphrasing him accurately. He says, why can't we just support police and, you know, and, 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 and move on? Yeah, I mean, I think actually one of the disservices that we're seeing to the conversation about uh, or a productive conversation about uh, police, about uh, community policing, about uh, the relationship between uh, the police and their communities and having an actual effective conversation, what's doing a disservice to that is national politics. Uh, And in an election year, unfortunately, what... uh, and I'll, this is both sides, they want to pit us against each other, right? Because they want us to go out and vote for one versus the other. But unfortunately, what, 
what a narrative has come out, uh, and I've seen this more from the Trump-Pence side, which is that if you're uh, talking about these issues, you are anti-police, right? And that's just to, to split the country and say, we're divided. Sorry. Um, we're divided. You're on that side or you're on this side. And I say this is a disservice to us uh, because it sends us away from the table yet again. Um, it says that this is a binary issue. It's either you're either with us or you're against us, right? We've heard this, this language before. Um, when unfortunately, or what we, what we need is to recognize that uh, simply because we, we recognize a problem in our communities uh, doesn't mean we are anti-police. In fact, uh, the police need uh, their perspective heard on this as well because they're uh, doing an amazing service. They're, uh, they're putting their lives on the line. They're servicing the community. And there are uh, far more, um, far, far more um, uh, police who are uh, community-oriented who want to do a service, that's why they got into that job, uh, than the ones that are not doing a service, right? Or the ones who are following a system that is disadvantaging uh, certain communities over others. Uh, so this is not an issue of one versus the other. In fact, it's a, hey, we're all in this together conversation. Let's get at uh, what what is built into the system that we need to change. So unfortunately, that type of a conversation in the vice presidential debate, in the presidential debate, out of the conventions and on the on the trails, is they are really trying to to put a wedge in between us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what what we're seeing on the national level is that m- the more we talk about this, right, uh, the more it sinks in. The more the good people, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes, most most people are good people. They they don't want to be racist. They don't want to uh, act on bias in their brains. They don't want to do these things, but they don't really have the tools to really navigate these things. And it's through these effective conversations uh, that we build in those tools, that we start to uh, be able to have difficult conversations, but understand that those difficult conversations bring us closer together. They move our communities in good ways, and they, they create effective change, right? Mm-hmm. So, if we really are what we keep on saying we are, a, a nation that wants to, to be as good as we can, then, then that's where it happens, is at those tables where we, we hash out these issues and we, we affect policy changes that benefit police and the communities they serve. Mm. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're hearing uh, some excerpts from some of our favorite programs. It's the spring uh, uh, pledge drive, and uh, we appreciate you listening. We will appreciate uh, your uh, pledging to UPR and to Access Utah. Uh, So thank you so much for listening and contributing. Many of these programs, I was just uh, rolling through my Google Doc here, uh, Jason Gilmore, who joins me. You heard his voice just there, and Jason Gilmore uh, joins me in studio um, and uh, looking at the comments to this particular program and uh, many programs, we do get uh, quite a few comments, and that uh, really does move the the program uh, forward. Indeed. Uh, so this conversation involved Jason Gilmore, who's Assistant Professor of Communication Studies at uh, USU, and Forrest Crawford, a former diversity director at uh, Weber State University. He's Professor of Teacher Education. I found myself wondering, and maybe I can get an update uh, on your thoughts, uh, Jason Gilmore. This was in October of last year, this particular mm-hmm. program. We've since had the election and Indeed. the election of uh, Mr. Trump. And um, a lot of interesting rhetoric. It's it's a fire hose of interesting stuff. 
Um, where do you think we stand now with, with a conversation on race issues? Um, I think on the national level, it's been a little quiet. And I think it's been a little quiet specifically just because Trump is uh, in absolutely every headline. Um, so I think he's, he's, he's dominating the conversation to a certain extent. Um, but it's still there. I mean, this is uh, one of the most important issues of our time. Uh, so I think on the national level, we're not hearing about it, uh, but you're definitely hearing it in the groundswell of, of uh, some, to a certain extent, opposition to Donald Trump, as well as some people who are simply working on this issue uh, and who want to have this conversation regardless of what political party you come from, right? Uh, so I think, I think the conversation is there, um, but it's getting... Uh, it's quiet right now, or quieted a little bit to a certain extent because of uh, the attention placed on the Trump administration. So, mm-hmm. uh, Coming up in uh, this hour, we are going to hear from uh, an excerpt from our conversation with Angela Poli hudson her fascinating book, Real Native Genius, How an Ex-Slave and a White Mormon Became Famous Indians. Um, by the way, uh, Jason Gilmore, mm-hmm. sometimes all I have to hear is the title. Uh-huh. And I say, yeah, we're doing that on Access Utah. <laughs> and that was the case here, how an ex-slave and a white Mormon became famous Indians. Yeah, yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to have that conversation. Indeed. And we did, and it was, it was fascinating. We'll have, a, uh, we'll have an excerpt from that. And then Paul Reeve, his very interesting book, Religion of Different Color, how uh, Protestants radicalized Mormons uh, using physical differences. In other words, uh, in their minds, racial differences, mm-hmm. even though both groups were very white, mm-hmm. um, to define Mormons as non-white, help justify uh, the, uh, the persecution of Mormons. Uh, that's coming up in this hour as well. Uh, coming up uh, this week, we're going to have a whole week of uh, Best of Access Utah. Hope you'll uh, be with us for that uh, tomorrow. Some headline shows. We'll have excerpts uh, from um, a, a show we did on fake news and journalism in the age of Trump. We will uh, talk. Uh, we have an excerpt uh, from our uh, most recent program on Bears Ears. We did a special program mm-hmm. when uh, when uh, President Obama declared Bears Ears National Monument, and an excerpt from a program on refugees and uh, President Trump's executive order, the original one. Um, on Wednesday, we're going to have some fun with uh, Lynn McNeil and uh, some uh, programs, including Sherlock. What's in a Name, and uh, some music with the group Evening in Brazil. And on uh, Thursday. Cynthia Buckingham from Utah Humanities will be with me, and we'll be celebrating uh, some great Pulitzer shows. We had a whole series last uh, year on Pulitzer winners. We'll talk about editorial cartooning. We will talk about, uh, we'll have an excerpt from our conversation with John Luther Adams, a mm-hmm. Pulitzer Prize-winning composer, and some other things. So you want to stay tuned to all this uh, this week. So before we go to break, Jason Gilmore, uh, the place to go, upr.org. Upr.org to pledge your support. In your view, why should people pledge their support to UPR at Access Utah? I think, I mean, perhaps you've heard this already, but uh, I think now more than ever uh, is when we should uh, invest in public radio and the importance of having uh, journalism, um, storytelling that really gets at the human level component of uh, the American experience. Um, you know, I'm a lifelong listener of, of national public radio, and ever since I came to uh, to Logan, um, I've been an ac- avid uh, listener to Utah Public Radio or of Utah Public Radio. Uh, it's hugely important right now, especially in the in 
and the fact that uh, there might be, uh, at least uh, proposed in the budget, uh, there might be some cuts coming down the road. Uh, and public radio and public television uh, have uh, sometimes been targeted uh, as something to get rid of. Um, and that's why I think those of us who understand the fundamental value of this, uh, not only to our own individual lives, I mean, this is uh, such a blessing in my life, uh, but just the, the understanding of how it contributes to the community, uh, how it contributes to our collective understanding and the conversations that we have, those important conversations that we have uh, that are not hashed out in other places that we really hash out on, on public radio. So I think now more than ever, um, it is time for people to, to step up um, and, uh, and show their support. We hope that you will strengthen our UPR community by going to our website, upr.org, upr.org. When you go to upr.org, it's unmistakable. It's right at the top, Spring Pledge Drive. Just click there. You can see a lot of our thank you gifts, and at various levels, you can get some great thank you gifts. One I think that's been very popular is the at the $12 a month, $120, is the UPR Stein it's a tall, frosty stein with the UPR and the Chaz logo. Nice. So that's uh, that's for for uh, twelve dollars a month. Um, uh, but many other levels you can get at the thirty-six dollar level a, a member card. That's two for one deals in dining, museum, health, and pet benefits. Uh, just go to our website. All that information is there. And uh, the critical thing is your support for UPR and for Access Utah. Our goal for the, the this two hour block is one thousand five hundred dollars. Good news is you don't have to do that all by yourself. We gather together as a community. That's how we do this. Indeed. We just need to grow the community a bit. As Jason mentioned, it's in the president's budget. Elimination of CPB. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. But sure. uh, it, it's it's always out there. Um, and and uh, the good news is the, the biggest the biggest chunk of support comes directly from you. And uh, you have been reliable in the past, and we know that you'll come through again uh, this time around. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, the great thing is the democratic function, right? So those of us who contribute uh, are then get to shape what the programming is instead of that coming top down. So the fact that we contribute, the fact that we hold this up, uh, the fact that we uh, champion um, what it is that represents us well uh, is, is a beautiful part of our democracy for sure. UPR.org is the place to go. UPR.org. UPR.org. We hope that you'll make your pledge. And now we'll take a brief break. We'll come back with a conversation with Angela Poli Hudson. There is no issue more divisive in America today than immigration policy. The federal government has formally begun moving to get tougher on illegal immigration. I just signed two executive orders. President Trump talking tough on immigration. That will save thousands of lives, millions of jobs. And folks just don't want to come to this country any longer. Ask 21 people what they think. You're going to get 21 different answers. The Department of Homeland Security. As Utah Public Radio begins research for a new original series, we want your knowledge and opinions. What do you think about immigration in the U.S.? Do you want to see changes in the refugee process? Have immigrants had a particular impact in your life? We want to know what you think about these important issues. At upr.org, let your voice be heard. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement. Online at utahumanities.org.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're doing Best of Access Utah. It's the Spring Pledge Drive, and uh, we are encouraging you, hoping that you'll go to our website, upr.org, upr.org, and pledge your support to Utah Public Radio. Renew your membership or become a new member to Utah Public Radio. And uh, we're specifically looking for your support for Access Utah. I have with me in studio uh, USU Assistant Professor of Communication Studies, Jason Gilmore. By the way, he uh, recently was recipient of a USU President's Faculty Diversity Award, does a lot of work in in these issues, and we're talking about race issues on the program uh, today. Um, We've had a a great partnership, Jason, you and uh, and UPR. You brought us a project called, I think at that point, 52 Strong. Yep. A pilgrimage you take your uh, students on and students in other uh, colleges and universities uh, to civil rights uh, places, memorials. Yep, indeed. And then we did 54 Strong. Yep. And uh, then you went to Brazil. We had Russo Brazil. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, part of the issues there, at, uh, Brazil has very interesting race issues. Oh, without a well. doubt, yeah. Uh, so we've treated this a, a lot. Uh, we've had uh, Jason Gilmore on uh, with some uh, current events uh, stuff. We'll be treating that more tomorrow with uh, Candy Carter Olson from Journalism Communication. But uh, uh, we talked, I think, at uh, Women's Marches with you, and we yeah. also had a discussion with you and Lawrence Culver from History mm-hmm. on what the election means. Indeed. And we've, we've had some uh, some very interesting conversations. We appreciate that, uh, too. We, uh, we uh, hope to have your support at uh, upr.org, upr.org. We have a caller, uh, Carl from St. George. Uh, Carl, uh, go ahead. Good morning, Tom. G- good morning. Hey, I'm a member of... Uh I'm a member of UPS, or UPR, and every month the bank takes uh, some money out of my account. It's a very painless thing to do, and I'm very proud of it because it, uh, I mean, your station gets me up in the morning and gives me the headlines of what's going on, and I appreciate that. But I think you folks do a very poor job of really informing the public of what a public radio station is. In other words, I'm sure that there are the little old ladies out there that enjoy your programming, but they say to themselves, why do we have to contribute to you? Why don't we contribute to KSL? Why don't why don't they have fun drives and so on? And I, I, you never tout the fact that we're not bombarded with advertisements all the time. Mm, good point. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why you don't do that. And uh, like I say, I think if you'd make the point of how you're different, who supports you, why you support you, and why we don't have to listen to these darn advertisements all the time, <laughs> I think uh, you guys could do a much better job of that. But if people would contribute, that is, let the bank automatically withdraw some funds out of your account every month. It's painless. Uh, you have the satisfaction of knowing that you're contributing to the station. You're part of it. We're members. And then you also send us a little, uh, like a credit card, with all kinds of businesses that offer discounts. Now, we never hear anything about that, but that's a real nice little handy thing to have. That is. As you go around to restaurants, hardware stores, automobile mechanics, hey, you've got this discount that you sent us, this little card, and they give us discounts. We never hear anything about that. So I think there's some areas that you could hit that are very uh, salient to a better uh, understanding of what UPR is compared to KSL or any other radio station. And I think with that explanation, why uh, you'd have even more funds 
Thank oh, you. Okay, Carl, thank you. Thank you for that. We'll, we'll try to rectify those two problems. So right now, the <laughs> member card, Carl, it sounds like he uses that member card a lot. Indeed. Um, and so that is the UPR member card, and that starts at a $36 level if you're a, uh, that's a great level for students, for example. Indeed, yeah. But you get that member card, I think, at every level going up as well, in addition to any, anything else. So that is the member card. So thank you for that, uh, Carl, and we will uh, try to talk more about that. And that's two for one. So you, you go to a museum, or and this is around the state of Utah, mm-hmm. uh, not just in, in Logan, uh, Carl's in St. George. So dining, museum, health, pet benefits, um, other places, as Carl mentioned, you uh, take that member card and it's uh, essentially doubling your the value there. It's, it's, it's two for one. So that starts at the $36 level. Um, $3 a month. And then uh, if, if you were to get that Stein that I mentioned, the tall frosty Stein with the UPR and Chaz logo for uh, $12 a month, I believe you get the member card on top of that as well. Nice. So that's uh, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, the other the other thing that Carl mentioned, uh, let's rectify that as well, <laughs> Jason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we maybe we take it for granted that our listeners do understand that. And maybe, yeah. maybe some don't. Uh, we are public radio. And we receive uh, funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It was talking about the present budget is eliminating that. Indeed. Uh, but we're, we're a whole different flavor of funding. We receive some funding from the federal government. As mentioned, we, we, we are, some of our support comes from uh, Utah State University. Yeah. We're owned and operated by USU. Um, the big bulk of our funding comes directly from you. And uh, we are allowed as a public radio station to do regular fund drives. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing right now. Go directly to you, a democratic process, as you said, Jason, um, and ask for money directly from you. That's be- and the trade-off is the government does not allow us to run commercials. Mm-hmm. And so we don't run commercials. And so you're not inundated by, you know, uh, 15 commercials in a row. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we don't have to tout the, the fact that we have three songs in a row now commercial-free. Mm-hmm. We don't because... Uh, by and large, we don't we don't get uh, overrun by commercials. Yeah, we run what's called underwriting, but there are strict rules about that. We can't mention sales. We can't do direct calls to action. It can only be mentions, uh, and there's very few of those now, comparatively uh, to to commercial radio. So it is a very different animal, and it also allows us. This is the most important thing to me, Jason, is that it allows us to do very different kind of programming. Indeed, we don't have to try to become the most popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore we can treat uh, issues long form. And we can delve into issues that perhaps um, aren't covered in, in other uh, in, in the commercial realm. Yeah, I worked in commercial press as a journalist and as a an editor. And as an editor, uh, the business side and the business department um, uh, put a lot of pressure on the news department to uh, to change the news, to not report on certain uh, organizations in certain ways. Um, so, I mean, the restrictions on commercial journalism um, are not always, are not far and wide. There are uh, hopefully some more and more independence between the journalistic uh, department as well as the, and the business department, but that's not always the case. But at Utah Public Radio, the, the bosses are the public, are the people. Um, and that really does help to condition uh, the programming that you get that really is representative, not of those who are looking to sell. And then, um, that's fine. That's part of our uh, capitalist system, right? But, but to, to get to, – to give the – to give press um, the role of 
representing the people and looking out for the people and watchdogging watchdogging the government for the people and being advocates for consumers so that they don't get um, messed over by by um, corporations that are doing uh, unfortunate things. Uh, that really is the value of Utah Public Radio, of National Public Radio. And I just want to give a shout out to Carl because bringing that uh, perspective to our table uh, is so incredibly important to, I mean, for our, our uh, listeners to understand uh, what benefits you get as a listener. We're in the studio. So sure, we understand and we've always listened to this, uh, but now we're in this position, so we don't quite get the position of, of uh, or the benefits of what our listeners get uh, as much. And Carl Raleigh brought that to bear, and I think other people can relate to that hugely. Thank you for that, Carl, and thank you for your support. Uh, Carl's a longtime uh, supporter of uh, UPR, and he mentioned, he didn't say the word sustainer, but he is a sustainer, and we, we encourage you to become a sustaining member to UPR. He says he, he has it taken out of his account uh, automatically, so anything that's automatic, regular, that means you're a sustainer. We, we love sustainers uh, because uh, that's easy for us and easy for you, Yeah. so you're more likely to be with us long term. Indeed. Uh, so join your support with Carl's. And go to upr.org and uh, make a pledge right now while you're thinking about it. Uh, upr.org. Uh, and uh, pledge in any amount would be would be helpful. I've been suggesting the amount of $12 a month, and you get that uh, great uh, UPR Stein. Um, and on top of that, in any level, you get the uh, UPR member card. Two for one uh, deals on dining, museum, health, pet benefits, and many others. And it's all over the state of Utah. So again, thanks for that, uh, Carl. UPR.org, UPR.org. And uh, we're going to go now to, uh, I don't think we'll hear all of this, but we'll hear uh, at least a portion of this, an excerpt uh, from a conversation we had uh, last fall with Angela Polly Hudson. Uh, she is a professor at, at I think, Texas A&M, and she has had a new book out then. It's still fairly new, Real Native Genius, How an Ex-Slave and a White Mormon Became Famous Indians. And uh, in the mid-1840s, Warner McCrary, an ex-slave from Mississippi, claimed a new identity for himself, traveling around the nation as Choctaw performer Oka Tubby. He soon married Lucy Stanton, a divorced white woman, a Mormon woman from New York, who likewise claimed to be an Indian and used the name La Seal. Together, they embarked on an astounding, sometimes scandalous journey across the United States and Canada. This gets us into a discussion of imposture and identity. Let's hear a portion of this conversation. I wonder if we could start with anxieties of physical and social mobility. I was mm -hmm. fascinated reading in your book that uh, there was an opening up. There was a greater possibility that you could reinvent yourself, but there were anxieties that went along with that. Absolutely. So in part, when I say the, the physical mobility, this is an era when um, it's, it's before railroads become viable means of transportation, but more and more roads and turnpikes are being opened in the United States. Um, canal travel becomes uh, much more important, and steamboat travel becomes essential. This means that people can travel further and faster than they ever could before. So whereas it used to be people stayed more or less where they, where they lived and you sort of knew more or less everybody around you, you couldn't pretend to be someone else because everyone already knew who you were. Now someone can hop on a steamboat and be in two days, you know, be 100 miles, 200 miles up the river where no one knows who they are and they can completely reinvent themselves. So this is the same context in which Herman Melville writes about the confidence man, right? This idea of the confidence man, of people being able to masquerade. And that theme of um, imposture, 
And that's the, the, the quote that I read earlier from the Buffalo Courier, that there's nothing so certain to succeed as imposture if boldly managed. You had to be confident in your imposture. That, on the one hand, fascinated people. There was a lot of writing about it. It appeared as a theme in the stage performances and plays, um, but it also terrified people. And so that's where we get to the question of social mobility. Hmm. If people could travel around and reinvent themselves, then that meant that people didn't stay in their prescribed social station. Women could act more manly than they should, right? People of color could claim to be, could pass as white. Enslaved people might be able to um, pass themselves off as free. So that greater physical mobility leads to this sort of social flexibility that threatens the very categories that hold the the hierarchies in the United States. Um, Gender hierarchies, racial hierarchies, economic and social hierarchies are all called into question by people's ability to reinvent themselves. Mm. I can see you, you take these anxieties and you put them in the racial realm. That's that's the highest, I guess, the anxieties probably would get. Yeah, in, in well, this yeah, this is the era in which, you know, in 1850, the Fugitive Slave Law is passed. And while on its surface, that's about the recovery of, of um, property in the form of enslaved people, it also hinges on what I call in the book racial acuity, a theory of racial acuity. So um, slaveholders and slaveholding interests in the South are essentially in lobbying for this law and insisting on its enforcement, even in the free states. They're essentially insisting on their superior ability to identify people of color by looking at them and to then um, reassert that the proper place for those people of color is as slaves, right? So um, so it has real implications in the in the laws of this era. It has real implications in terms of people's lives. And so it's, so it's not just a sort of theory of the flexibility and the, and the way that people felt this social anxiety, but it's being manifested in laws and policies that, mm-hmm. that affect people on a daily basis. And science. Yes. You have racism uh, thriving in, in science. So this is the same era in which we see historians record the emergence of what we call scientific racism. So and this there are vestiges of this still with us today. And scientific racism in many ways becomes the sort of the foundation on which a little bit later the eugenics movement is built, okay, and the idea of a, a pure Anglo-Saxon race and that sort of thing. But scientific racism was very much about looking. It was very much about the body and that there were distinct races that were immutable. They couldn't change. You were, you were a certain race and you always would be. And um, so with this came a lot of sort of pseudoscientific procedures uh, measuring the brain or measuring the, the size of the, the head and the brain cavity, um, looking at the texture of hair, looking at the color of the skin and the, and the size and shape of facial features. And we see this apparent in the way in which people are writing about Okatubi, particularly in, in just after 1851 when he starts to be exposed. Newspapers start to say things like, well, we kind of knew he wasn't an Indian because of his nose. Or once we took another look at his hair, then we realized it wasn't the straight, silky hair of the Indian that we expected, which may, is that kind of statement is making claims both about what an African descended person is and looks like, but also what an American Indian person is or isn't. Right? You talk about in the book how over time, um, Americans' U.S. perception of Indians changed. It used to be they're different. They're different socially. They're different mm-hmm. civilization. We can civilize them. And then it became they're a different race. Yes. So this is a, a transition that happens 
um, more or less from Jefferson to Jackson, <laughs> if you will. So, um, you know, the the American Enlightenment thinkers of the founding era, um, although I think they believed in the inferiority of Native peoples, they nevertheless committed themselves to the possibility that they could be civilized, that with the programs of the federal government, with Christianization, with education, they could be made to progress. And that was a real foundational idea within the Enlightenment, is that one could could progress, could learn, right? Um, that's really looking at American Indians as being different on a cultural or social level. Right? Culture is learned. It can be unlearned, or you can learn a new one. By the time we get to the, the 1820s, especially the late 1820s, the idea has really shifted around American Indians to the, to the concept that they, are, that they are savages. They will always be savages, and no amount of education, no amount of Christianization will ever allow them to improve to the level of white men. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm uh, Tom Williams, and we were hearing a, a bit of a conversation there from uh, fall of last year uh, from Angela Polly Hudson. Her fascinating book, Real Native Genius, How an Ex-Slave and a White Mormon Became Famous Indians. That's the recipient of the 2016 Evans Biography Award for the Mountain from the Mountain West Center for Regional Studies at Utah State University. Have with me uh, in studio uh, Jason Gilmore. Uh, who is a frequent guest here on the program. He's Assistant Professor of Communication Studies, and he's a recipient recently of the USU President's Faculty Diversity Award. Um, Jason Gilmore, that's uh, that a fascinating discussion. It's, it's a fascinating story, mm-hmm. but this idea of imposture and identity and the fact that that's a very American thing, a fluid identity. Sure. But it's also very, very loaded, and, and so that's where, that's where we come in with, with these discussions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, as different identities are taken on, different uh, ascriptions, people people give you identities that you don't even want. So as people choose through the complexity of their own identities, each one of those brings about uh, tons of reactions from other people. So um, this is beautifully one of the... uh, on the beautiful side of this, uh, one of the key components of American society, without a doubt, is that we have this rich complexity to us. It can bring difficulties as well, for sure, uh, but it also is uh, fundamentally part of what makes America America, which is pretty cool. And only on uh, public radio, we'll give a tip of the hat to Carl, who called us earlier in this this hour, Indeed. took us to task, said we weren't, we aren't delineating public radio from commercial <laughs> radio enough, and so we take that point, Carl. Um, only on public radio could I have an hour-long discussion with uh, Professor uh, Hudson yeah. uh, about this uh, fascinating topic, and then this this kind of a topic can really benefit from a, a you know an in-depth discussion of the kind that you can really only have on public radio, where you don't have commercials, and where you can take the time to uh, to, to do this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite things that uh, National Public Radio always talked about were these driveway moments, right? Because so many people listen to to public radio in their car and they have these driveway moments because they pull up to their house and they're listening to this program and they're not quite ready to let go of the program. Mm -hmm. So they sit in their driveway, right? Um, and uh, that has been such a defining component or, uh, yeah, a component of how my or of my relationship with public radio, uh, it gets a little easier now that you can podcast or that your mobile device, so you don't have to sit in the 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 driveway anymore. You can just walk into the house while you continue to listen to these programs. 
But that the fact that Utah Public Radio, National Public Radio do these in-depth, human-centric uh, stories is what makes us have those driveway moments, which is it's what makes me walk out of my bathroom with my phone uh, still broadcasting as I eat my breakfast. Uh, you know, it's 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 what makes this this compelling and what what makes it important for us to to keep holding it up as listeners and contribute. So we know that uh, it's 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 about one in ten. So you know the the members of public radio to listeners of public mm-hmm. radio. I wonder what what was got you first got you over that important dividing line from being a, For, just, a just a listener, listener to, to becoming a, a contributor. Um, it's interesting. It it really is tough to get um, to to just have that moment where you step over and you say, "All right, well, I'm going to go from listener to contributor." Um, I had I had been a contributor at public radio stations elsewhere, um, but here at Utah State University, for those who are at Utah State University and those who are interested in just having the ease of having five to ten to twenty dollars uh, taken out of your check. Uh, on a monthly basis as a sustaining contributor, it's really easy. Uh, and Utah Public Radio really makes it uh, a seamless process, especially for those of us who are employed at Utah State University, but I think in general, right, uh, to become that sustaining member. Um, but I think what it was is that I realized that w- what brought me over the line was when I realized uh, how important our contribution actually is. I didn't really think, was, uh, am I making a difference? And I think citizens feel that in a number of different scenarios. Uh, should I vote? Am I really making a difference? Yes, voting makes a difference. Uh, should I uh, contribute to public radio to make sure that it still represents me and doesn't get bogged down by other influence? Yes, uh, you should contribute. Um, and I would say, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how many people we have uh, on the phones, but I would, I would love to hear, I would challenge people who are thinking about calling in to not only call in and contribute or to go online and contribute, but to go online and tell us to really sit for a second and think why this is important to you and then communicate that to us, right? Give us a, a, a story or two of how this impacts your life. Um, and I think that hopefully would be another motivator to uh, to contribute so that we can hear your stories, we can interact with you. It's not just going on, clicking a button, clicking uh, one of these wonderful gifts, but it's, it's an interaction and it's a contribution so you can feel... Uh, exactly what public radio is about. It's about public contribution and not uh, interest groups and elite groups, uh, but public contribution to the defining uh, moments of our lives and the definition of American culture. The place to uh, to do that, to uh, become a member of Utah Public Radio, contribute to, uh, to our UPR community, is uh, upr.org. Go to upr.org. That's upr.org. Upr.org. We'll tattoo this on our brains. Upr.org. <laughs> um, and as Jason so eloquently said, uh, we we uh, join our forces together, and um, and we can have the money for the next uh, year to, uh, to to continue uh, this uh, this wonderful programming. We don't have commercials, mm-hmm. as Carl points out. We're a totally different animal. 
but we are allowed to come to you directly through fund drives. And so that's what we do. And it's a very democratic process. If you enjoy this product, if you find value in it, if you are informed, we uh, hope that you'll go right now while you're thinking about it to upr.org, upr.org, and make that vital contribution, uh, that membership uh, donation, the pledge, upr.org. That's upr.org. Here at the end, just 30 seconds, uh, Jason Gilmore. We didn't have time to get to Paul Reeb. A very interesting book. Urge you to check it out, Religion of a Different Color. And check out the conversation. You can find that and all of these conversations at upr.org. So on your way there to listen to my conversation with Paul Reeve, <laughs> uh, make that uh, contribution, make that pledge at upr.org. Yeah, and tell us your stories. That's uh, that's uh, that's a great thing. We we do uh, very much look to. There's a comment section there as as you fill out the pledge form, and we would love to get your comments. You might tell us, "Hey, I hate that program," or "I love that one," and we, we definitely uh, that carries weight. Yeah. Um, and uh, and tell us why why you think public radio is so important. Yeah. That's uh, that's very important as well. We uh, thank you for joining us for Access Utah today. We have some great programming coming up tomorrow. I'll have with me in studio journalism uh, professor uh, Candy Carter Olson. We'll talk about some of our recent uh, headline type programs, where we've just opened the uh, email and phones and allowed you to participate. And it's it's been a wonderful time. We'll we'll uh, talk about bears ears and uh, some other things. That's tomorrow. Thanks for listening uh, today. We want to know what you think about UPR. We have a new listener survey up and running. It's on our website, upr.org. We hope you'll take just a few minutes to fill out the survey. You'll be able to tell us your favorite programs, what issues you'd like to see covered, and ways we can improve our service. The link is on our website, upr.org. That's upr.org. And thank you. Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.